Welcome to Temple of Health Radio Show. This is Dr. Susan Cobb, and I'm here with my guest, uh, Elena Manns, who is the author of Soul Dog, A Journey into the Spiritual Life of Animals. Um, I've always been very fascinated by spiritual stories about animals, and I've um, spent most of my life with the ability to communicate, especially with cats and sometimes with dogs. And um, I just uh, think that her her book is wonderful, and we're we're going to bring it to you today to to understand that your animals have spiritual lives, and they intertwine with yours. Welcome to the show, um, Elena. Thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So you you wrote a story that uh, is really a, a wonderful story about um, certain expectations that you had when you got a dog and the reasons that you got a dog. Why don't, why don't we start there about what what your life was like and why you decided to get a dog and and what um, what happened from there? Yes. Well, I, I say that I'm really the last person I ever would have expected to write a book about the spiritual life of animals and a spiritual connection with a dog. I um, was always an animal lover, but uh, we had them as, uh, we had pets as when I was a child, cats actually. But, uh, you know, I thought of them as pets, as sort of a master um, servant, not servant, but, you know, the humans were definitely superior and the, the pets were there to give us comfort and unconditional love, certainly, but really the the humans ran the show, so to speak. But I was um, uh, a very hard-driving television documentary producer and pretty successful at this point, but I was going through sort of a midlife crisis. And uh, one of the things that precipitated that uh, was a near-fatal car crash on a film shoot. And I came out of that. Um, fortunately, I wasn't seriously injured, but I really it was kind of a wake-up call that right. you know, what by doing, running around, getting into near-fatal car crashes, <laughs> and maybe there should be more to life than that. <laughs> so mm-hmm. since I'd always loved animals, and you know, I thought that a, a dog, a puppy, would bring me that companionship and a relationship I'd had had recently broken up. So you know, I wanted companionship and that unconditional love, but. You know, and I thought the puppy, I'd get a trainer and everything would be orderly and and under my control and my life really wouldn't change very much at all. So um, I also was, you know, I should say from the start that I was a skeptic. I was trained as a television journalist and not to believe anything that wasn't um, provable in the world of material empirical fact. So... um, all of that um, to explain why I say I was the last person I ever thought would have written this book. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I um, got a standard poodle puppy, much to the dismay of many of my friends who, you know, I think they suspected that I really was not prepared to handle a puppy um, with my work and everything or even my personality that, you know, I think especially people who, had dogs knew that it was not going to be quite as straightforward maybe as I I envisioned. Um, so I brought mm-hmm. the puppy who I named Brio, uh, which is a term in music for energy, gusto, home. Mm-hmm. And the name turned out to be very, very appropriate. He certainly was highly spirited and very independent-minded, and he didn't obey me very much. Um, so I started to become increasingly frustrated and 
even desperate. I actually uh, once fell into a boat pond in the city park when I was walking backwards, screaming for him to come back to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I stepped over the edge into this water, which wasn't uh, thankfully too deep, but um, it was rather humiliating. And somebody I knew was nearby and said, oh, I thought that was a homeless person taking a bath. <laughs> so... <laughs> Anyway, you were learning um, humility through the dog. <laughs> yes, I started doing that early, but I, you know, I, I felt like I really couldn't even deal with this relationship, and I didn't speak dog. I didn't know how to communicate with him, and you know, right. I couldn't figure out what was going through his mind. So I'd heard of people who called themselves animal communicators, psychics who mm-hmm. could um, understand uh, what a dog or another creature was thinking and feeling and you know mm-hmm. as a journalist I did a little research and I found somebody with a decent reputation out in California I was on the east coast and called her and asked her to give a reading of my puppy and I didn't tell her really anything about him at all or about me and she gave a remarkably accurate reading about um, you know, how he experienced my apartment and the furniture and what streets he liked to walk on and things about his personality and about me that she never could have known. So mm-hmm. that certainly whetted my interest, and that's kind of where my journey of exploration into trying to communicate through you know, telepathy with another species began, mm-hmm. uh, sort of by accident, but... You know, the more I spoke to animal psychics, the more I got accurate readings and the more curious I became and the more I wanted to explore further. So Mm -hmm. that is how it all started. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you have some remarkable stories, uh, which I hope you'll share some of them with the audience, about the the animal communicators and um, the... Uh, I think it's great that you did your research. I think it's great that you um, did the documentary that you did on the Horse Whisperer, and the results of that were just amazing. Right. Well, in the beginning or the early years of my exploration, so to speak, I was working for a network, so I used my job actually to, you know, you know, further my research about all this, uh, mm-hmm. communicating with animals, and I persuaded. Uh, people to, first of all, let me do a story about animal intelligence um, and include a segment on um, animal communication and psychic um, communication with dogs. And uh, we um, arranged a reading for Diane Sawyer's dog. She was the correspondent on the documentary. Mm -hmm. So um, we flew uh, the same animal communicator from California, actually, flew her to New York. And she'd never met Diane or knew anything about the dog, you know, as was the case with mm-hmm. Brio, my dog. And um, she met the dog and Diane briefly in a hotel suite and then uh, retired to a private room with the dog <laughs> to <laughs> read about, read him, so to speak. And right. uh, after an hour or so, she came out and um, reported what she'd found and he, you know, he was not my dog, so I couldn't testify to the exact accuracy of everything. But mm-hmm. uh, first of all, she said that he um, had been kind of traumatized by something 
um, in his life that he, he had a memory of spinning and feeling scared and falling. And Diane mm-hmm. said that actually he had fallen into a swimming pool when he was a puppy. And wow. Yeah, and, and then another thing we did was we had taped the dog. Um, the psychic was not present, well, nor was Diane, but we went to Diane's home outside of the city and taped the dog in the yard and you know, walking by the stream and among trees and also inside the house. And then um, we then asked the psychic when she came to New York um, if she could describe what the dog did um, at his home. And she gave a really right-on reading of exactly Mm -hmm. what the dog did in the yard that we had on tape going by the stream under the trees. That's great. And exactly what the dog did in the house, you know. So Mm -hmm. that was, you know... Each one of these instances kind of furthered my, you know, I was edging more along the line from skeptic to opening up to the possibility that something really was going on here that I couldn't explain by material, you know, means or by the, our ordinary human senses. And mm-hmm. then I did another um, story um, for the network. Um, I persuaded them to let me do a story about an animal psychic going to read a horse who was entered in the Belmont Stakes. Mm -hmm. And this was the year that a famous horse called War Emblem was supposed to win the Belmont and then the Triple Crown because he'd already won the Kentucky Derby and the Preakness. Mm -hmm. So, um, but as it turned out, the only trainer who would let me have the psychic read his horse was the trainer of the longest shot in Belmont Stakes history, 70 to 1, 7 zero mm-hmm. to 1, a horse named Saraba. So I mm-hmm. wasn't thrilled about that, but I didn't have much choice. So right. mm-hmm. this, was, this was now a different animal communicator. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, we took her out to Belmont the day before the race, and she met Saraba, and there was sort of silence for several minutes, you know, as she communicated with him, and nothing happened. The cameras rolled, and I was getting increasingly concerned. Impatient. Yeah, right. Really not going to work too well. And finally, yeah. um, Dawn, the psychic, says, um, well, he says he's going to win. The horse, she meant, the, he says he's going to win. And everybody's sort of kind of tittered, and, you know, the, the trainer said, well, why does he think he's going to win? You know, obviously mm-hmm. even he didn't believe it. Um, and Dawn, the psychic, said, well, he wants to do it. He knows he can do it, and he wants to do mm-hmm. it for you and his owner. So, you know, yeah. we sort of wrapped up the shoot then, and, you know, everybody was kind of skeptical, except Dawn. Mm-hmm. And she was very calm and convinced that that's what Saraba had said. So we go mm-hmm. home, and the next day is the race, and I'm sitting at home watching it on TV, and... The race starts, and um, everybody, the announcer's only talking about the leaders, you know, with War Emblem up near the front mm-hmm. for most of the race until they get to the far turn. And all of a sudden I hear him sort of starting to shout, and he said, Sarava is moving. <laughs> He's moving up. <laughs> He's yeah. overtaking War Emblem. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then finally, you know, they get near the finish line, and he's saying, War Emblem has taken the lead, and then he crossed the finish line. He's, Sarada has won the Belmont Stakes. Oh, my goodness. Seven, Isn't that amazing? Seven, eight, one shot. I mean, yeah. I really, my jaw literally did drop, you know. I, mean, it was, yeah. I had absolutely no expectations that, that this was going to happen. Well, you know, you can, you can look at this from another perspective. 
And just imagine that there's a spiritual world, and they want to set up something that is really an amazing thing. And so they coordinate everything. They coordinate so that nobody will do the, you know, except the psychic, except the, the lowest one. And then they coordinate the race so that the horse actually does win. But think about what it does for opening people's eyes to the spiital world. You see? That's what that yeah. was all about. I agree. And it was coordinated beautifully. I mean, you know, it was like probably the only mistake you made was not placing the bet, you know. Everybody asked me if I <laughs> Honestly, placed the bet, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, really. I mean, it's the only regret you have probably that you didn't bet yeah. on, you know. I mean, I never, it's you know. true. Everything else was perfect. You know, it wasn't perfect when you were going through it, but in retrospect, it's just an amazing story. And I think I think spirit does this in in many different times. That, but it's one of the most beautiful stories that I've seen where I just know that it was all coordinated. You know, in other words, the, the, the other horses kind of just weren't as good that day. And then um, Sarabha had this burst of energy that was spiritual, and he, and he knew he could win, you know, and that was what happened. It's just really a wonderful story. It is. I and mean, then Dawn, the psychic, you know, she wasn't surprised, but she said... The tears came to her eyes, even you know, sure. when she saw him win. That she said he was so proud of what he'd done, you know, and you yeah, know, touching. It really is. It really is. So I mean, that, um, by, by that time, I was really becoming pretty much of a convert that this this was yeah. really real. <laughs> yeah. So um, tell tell us a little bit about what some of the whispers said. Um, well, let's talk, let's talk first about some of the challenges that you had with Brio and then what the whispers are said about Brio because I think it, it was very you learned a lot from the whispers about what was going on I think I did well I mean sort of multiple levels I mean other people recognized what I came to you know see that he really had a special quality um, he had a presence and a wisdom there's no sort of no other way to put it and once I mm-hmm. even as a puppy yeah, even as a puppy, and I took him with me once when I was going to an Ayurvedic nutritionist for myself, and this doctor mm-hmm. took one look at him and said, oh, he's an old soul, and mm-hmm. you know, he even said he's not coming back as a dog. We know that, so I have right, no idea yeah. what he meant. But, you know, and then Brio, he's a master dog. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I really came to feel. I mean, I, I, um, and other people recognized that, too. Um but um, he did have health challenges, and one uh, this one time when he was about eight that he collapsed on the street and couldn't walk, and I went mm-hmm. through a battery of Western medical tests, you know, and they ultimately said it was a degenerative neurological condition and he'd never mm-hmm. really walk normally again. I mean, I was just desperate. So somebody I knew um, had used another animal communicator who also did energy healing, which I knew nothing about at the time, but I mm-hmm. really felt I didn't have anything to lose. So I called her up, Alicia Evans, and um, asked her to see what was going on or feel or whatever she did. And she was on the phone. Again, she was nowhere near New York, never met me or Brio. And she finally, after some time on the phone, said, um, well, I'll work with them. I've worked with them now, and I'll do it a few more times, but your dog 
and you're going to have your dog back. There's nothing wrong with his spine. He's going to walk again, and he's going to run again. Um, mm-hmm. And he did. I mean, we had several more very active years together. Um, when, you know, I thought, oh, you know, this dog is never going to be normal again. So, again, that's, you know, a connection through, and some people say it's not energy, but it's some, you know, connection that transcends space and time that she was able to shift his energy somehow. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just removing a blockage. I mean, any distance dealer can do that, yeah. Yeah, you can see how energy moves. You know, you can see. Um, I'll give you an example. I had a, a friend who was um, having massive neurological symptoms, was shaking, and it was even hard for him to drive. And he was in the medical field, so, you know, this was really, he went through neurology. He saw a friend of mine who was a neurologist, and had all these tests, couldn't figure out anything that was wrong. And he came to our meditation group one night, and we said, well, there's an energy blockage right there. You know, we could all see it. So we took him in the room and did this, um, you know, just clearing of the blockage, and then he his shaking stopped. You know, it's like it's like you – a lot of neurological problems actually are due to energy flow problems, you know, through the chakra system. So, you know, you just I mean, work on the chakra. Is it energy or is it, also, I mean, or is it like a frequency it's of vibration? It's prana or chi. It's an energy that um, is a, better called a life force energy, okay, rather than an electrical energy. But right. when you put your hand, like you could do it with your hand or you can do it with a pendulum, and the chakras are supposed to spin clockwise, but instead they spin counterclockwise, and distant healers can see the blockage in their mind's eye, you know, when they picture the dog or picture the human. You just see where the blockage is. And sometimes you can even find out what the blockage is. You know, the blockage can be due to, you know, um, closing your heart off or, um, like, cancer patients often have a fear of dying, and so their base chakras are blocked off. Um, So there's there's a whole bunch of different things with all the chakras that you kind of learn and then the you can clear chakras with your you know just with your hand like a reiki or or energetic thing or you can do it distantly as well and so that was what this um animal healer was doing was picturing the energy flow around the animals in the mind's eye and seeing where the blockage is and then clearing it out so it's but it is life force energy and it's not electromagnetic energy like um like it takes you know like say the healers in california and you're in new york if you were dealing with electromagnetic energy there would be a certain time period lag Mm. but there isn't with this this is more of a scalar energy where there's no there's no lag that's that's the best I can describe it. But scalar very energy, very clear, yeah. Yeah, scalar energy is more the energy of healing, but scalar energy can also be used for weapons. I mean, scalar energy is a form of energy that's that has no. Um, it's pro- probably outside of three dimensions, so it can enter anywhere. Um, and so, a lot of distant healing can be understood if you study scalar energy. Uh, which you can, um, uh, there's a really good explanation of scalar energy by Tom Palandino, who's yeah, been on the show several times. 
Yeah. Yeah, I love I love his stuff. He's so he's got a whole website on um scalar energy and the history of it, Russian scientist and and Nikola Tesla and, and you know all the history of it. And if you read the history and and I'm very much like you. I'm a you know raised in science from a family of scientists and you know so I have to have the science background too, but if you don't understand multidimensional reality that that there's a lot more than just three dimensions, then you might not understand how the distant healing works. You know, you've got to understand that there's more than just the third dimension, that mm-hmm. energy can actually go, um, you know, fourth and fifth dimensional energy. Like, I'll give you an example, spontaneous remission of cancer. Well, cancer is actually a fourth dimensional intrusion into the third dimension but say somebody gets a massive healing by a whole bunch of people. It actually happened in my exam room. There were about 30 people from the Baptist church here doing healing. And this person had this energy that started at their crown and then went to their feet. And then in the time, it was just very, you know, less than a minute, all the cancer disappeared. Okay, so that's a fifth-dimensional energy, which is scalar energy, brought just rejecting a fourth-dimensional energy, which was the cancer, back into the fourth dimension so that in the third dimension there's a spontaneous remission of cancer. And noetic science, um, I'm a member of noetic science, and in the in the book they have a hundred cases of spontaneous remission that have been documented, you know, medically. So, and a lot of those are cancer. So, it's really neat to see that a fifth-dimensional energy, and it's almost always starts at the crown, the patients describe it, starting at the crown and going to the feet, and then even if they were riddled with cancer, there's no more cancer. I had a friend who was in my meditation group. She was in the hospital with metastatic breast cancer, and she was supposed to go into surgery the next day, and she had that, that thing happen. Um, she was just praying, and this thing happened, and then she had no more cancer. So, you know, when when it happens, you've got to have a, a explanation for it that makes scientific sense. And to me, what I just gave you makes a lot of sense. You know, if cancer is a fourth-dimensional intrusion into the third dimension, into an area of low energy, um, I had a patient um, who had right breast cancer because her dog died, and she felt very, very guilty. So we worked through the issues, and I actually referred her to a dog whisperer so that that person, who was a professional, could communicate with the dog so the dog could tell her that she didn't have to feel guilty, and she was able to overcome the breast cancer. She did have surgery, too. I mean, we took the cancer out. But, you know, I think that it's important to understand the cause of the cancer and then treat the cause as well as doing the surgery because I feel if you don't treat the cause of what's lowering the energy in the breast, the cancer can come back. Mm. Wow, this is amazing. So fascinating. But I mean, this it really is, is. Such a big gift for me to get out of the three-dimensional, you know, constrictions and realize that there are other dimensions. I mean, or this couldn't be happening. You know, there couldn't yeah. be a connection with my dog. I mean, it still is amazing to me that this my relationship with my dog led me to ask these huge questions about the nature of reality and existence and, you know, it led me to have a totally different perspective about life and, um, you know, the universe, whatever you want to call it, you know. 
Well, you you were ready for it. You had probably, you know, been very successful in the third dimensional world, and there wasn't too too many other places to, you know, too many other achievements to have. So you were very very ready for it. And what I think is beautiful is that you were able to share part of your journey with so many other people through your profession. And I do the same thing. I mean, I, you know, I do the radio show, I share my experiences and I, you know, I share it with the patients and I'm a hand surgeon. So I used to go to the ER and, um, the hand injuries all have meaning, you know, there's spiritual lessons that the patients are learning. Like the thumb is will. So oftentimes they're very willful or, you know, maybe they're doing something they shouldn't do like drinking or drugs or whatever danger their thumb the index finger is faith and they're very spiritual people who maybe have been being told about a relationship they need to get out of or a job they need to get out of but they're not listening so they injure their tip of their they cut the tip off of their index finger the middle finger is um self-love self-worth issues the index finger i mean sorry the ring finger is um material things and money and then the little fingers relationship and sex. So what I tell people is the the some people are you know are are more combative, the index finger people are more spiritual, the the middle finger people are telling me how stupid they were to injure themselves. The first question out of the ring finger is how much is this going to cost and then the little finger they're often trying to pick me up. So that was <laughs> a little story. <laughs> so I think I think most injuries are spiritual. I don't think they just happen. Um, now, some happen because we're, we're you know, we um, maybe get drunk or, or do drugs or do something we shouldn't be doing. Uh, we're rushing or whatever, and we have an accident. That's different. I'm talking about where you have an accident where um, oftentimes it's interesting. You often see what is going to happen before it happens, and then it happens, and there's nothing you can do to stop it. And that's your soul showing you that you're going to be injured, and then, because then you've got to say, well, why did this accident happen? You know, what is what is it I'm not getting here? But oftentimes, at least with me, I was shown the accident before it happened, and then it happened. It was, like, really weird. So, much different than, say, if I was just clumsy and, like, rushing too fast and tripped over something. That's different. You know, that's me not being careful. So. So... Anyway, and then, of course, when Brio finally, you know, he lived to be 15, but um, when he did mm-hmm. pass away, that was a experience in itself. And, that was, you know, what happened after he passed was maybe in some ways the greatest gift of all because the, the connection continued, of course, and um, mm-hmm. there were mess- the, his messages continued. I mean, I did use the animal communicators for support, you know, certainly in the months you know, right after he passed over, but they right. came with such detail, and, you know, I couldn't deny that he was actually there. His spirit endured, his mm-hmm. consciousness endured, like he would report on where I was, what I did, um, with, you know, minute details, so there's absolutely no way the animal communicator could have known, you know. Yeah, it's so amazing when um, I've I've interviewed a lot of authors who've written extensively about near-death experiences, and universally the pets, um, the pets are always present. Like um, they're usually with the family members who are deceased, and it just is amazing to me at how close we are to our pets. um, That 
that that relationship transcends death very i mean even sometimes more than uh your relatives do you you stay very close to your animals right but i mean of course if it's if the consciousness or the spirit of my dog can transcend death that means that you know there is no you know mature, you know death is not there's no real death well, yeah I mean, there is no real death the consciousness that's is right or, whether it's brielle or you or yeah. me or whatever you know yeah. Well, I want to tell a short story about um, some, my attorney had a secretary, and my the secretary called me up and said, uh, something terrible has happened. I have this cat that, you know, stays in the house all the time, and somehow the cat got out, and can you tell me what happened to the cat? And I kind of tuned in, and I said, I don't, the cat's not alive. You know, the cat, I don't know what happened, but the cat died. Okay, so, you know, the, there's no reason to look for the cat. And then about Four months later, she called me up. She said, a kitten came up the driveway from nowhere. They didn't know where it came from. And was on my front porch. And I opened the door, and the cat came in and did everything that my cat did. You know, sat where my cat did, only like the food that my cat liked. You know, just it was like this little kitten, but it was exactly like the cat that had run out and then died. So I said, well, it's the same cat. It came back to you. <laughs> It was just a kitten now. <laughs> so that does happen. It really does. I don't I don't even know how the cat got back. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yes. Oh, my God. But the cat had some real peculiar habits, like it would only sit in certain places in the house. And so the secretary said, I have no doubt that this is my cat, you know, no doubt at all. I said, well, I think what happened was the cat wanted a quick death. You know, it didn't want to suffer a great deal. It wanted to come back as a kitten, so it ran out, and then I don't know, probably got run over. In you know, a coyote got you know, who knows? But it was a quick death. I felt it was a very quick death, and then it somehow reincarnated in a neighbor's cat. You know, the soul came in, and then the then it made its way back to the same house. But you know, those are like the animal stories of the dogs that travel two thousand miles to be re- reunited with their family. But this is just, you know, an interdimensional something very similar. Yeah, that's true. You know, um, I mean, <laughs> if you travel across the country to reunite. Why not across, you know, dimensions? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dimensions. But I think we all plan it. You know, I think I think that when we're in spirit. We get together and we plan out these things, including the relationships that we're going to have with our pets. I really think I, I really think we do. Hmm. You mean like people say that we choose our parents? That it's a a choice we make somehow. That's what the masters say. We we always choose our parents. So if you've got a problem with either of your parents, you know you chose them for a reason. So you have to figure out what it is. Now I don't think that. The opposite is true. I think that I don't think that we always choose our children. I think we agree. You know, in other words, we agree to it. There's agreements, but I think the child has the first dib, so to speak, when it comes to the parents. So, you know, a lot of times the the, the parents end up with a child and they go, "How do I get this child?" You know, <laughs> you can't take it back. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, you can't put it back. So. um but that that uh, I I think that you have to accept responsibility for choosing your parents. But sometimes it's just the agreements with your kids. But everybody learns something anyway. So 
Well, I really believe in reincarnation, the possibility. Um, and um, when, when Brio first passed over, I really hoped he was going to reincarnate right away. You know, mm-hmm. and I, yeah. like many people, I guess, was searching desperately for the puppy who would be Brio, come back. But right. when I did get another Black Standard Poodle, who I love a lot, who I have mm-hmm. with me now, but I don't believe he's Brio reincarnated. He has a very different right. yeah. era, different Yeah, it's amazing how different dogs are and different cats are. You know, they're, they've got their own personalities and their own... It's, it's just really incredible. But you can recognize them if they do reincarnate because of all of the peculiarities that they have. It really is neat. Well, you never know. I mean, I guess you never know what's going to happen, but I'm, Bravo is his, his own spirit, I'm sure. Yep. Well, we've, we've um, learned that, you know, when you're at the top of your, like, master dog or master cat, they they do go into another kingdom, you know. The the next stage up is to come back as a human, which is interesting. Interesting. No, I know. I mean, certainly, you know, some religious faiths, like Buddhism, for example, believe, you know, that animals and humans can interchange, really, or, you know, that even the Buddha apparently had lived lives as animal, non-human animals, you know, mm-hmm. which is fascinating. Um, but I mean, I, I guess it would be more logical to think that a spirit like Brio would, you know, come back as a human, maybe not as a dog, but who knows, you know? <laughs> well, we'll think about the dogs now, um, compared to maybe the dogs that you and I had when we were little. Okay. Mm-hmm. The dogs now, many of them are more depressed or have, you know, issues that are more emotional. I mean, there's more um, anxiety and depression noted in animals than um, at least it didn't used to be recognized. And there's more, there's actually more anxiety and depression in humans, too, than there was when, when I was growing up. You know, I think, um, like, when I was growing up, we didn't have um, ADD or, you know, we didn't have autism. We didn't have so many things. I think I think there's a mass you know, chemical toxicity problem that affects our animals. Um, they they say that, you know, a lot of dogs are, are hypothyroid, and what's weird is that their owners are also hypothyroid. You know, there must be some chemical or, or whatever um, problem that they're, they're all exposed to. But I think that there's endocrine disruptors, and I think there's there's things that have affected the population today including the dogs, that um, is very different than, say, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Well, right. I mean, uh, um, certainly the food, dog food, you know, one could, you know, suspect. With arsenic in it, don't you love that? Yeah. Chinese dog food, yeah. So, but I think that there, you know, I, I, when when you told your story about Brio, he obviously was a master animal, and like you said, even as a puppy, he he would just he he, he wasn't going to just do what you told him to do. He always had a will of his own and a and a and a energy that was very different than the average dog. He did. I mean, he just had total confidence. I mean, it's hard, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you know, he, he just. Um, you know, it wasn't an arrogance, but he just, you know, you know, the, 
he was comfortable. He was guided by something. World, you know? He was guided by something greater than what dogs are usually guided by. You know, it's like a wisdom, uh, uh, yeah. uh, almost having a higher self or a soul. That's probably the soul dog. You know, he had a he had a guidance system that he was very tuned into, and that guidance system also was for you. I mean, it it was it, it included the relationship with you. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I really think he did come to be my teacher, really. I mean, I believe that. Right. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I like to tell the story. I mean, he, um, I lived in the city a lot of the time when he was a puppy, and he would, like, pull me into flower shops. Um, well, when, even after he grew up to be an adult, we were in the city, but he would pull me into flower shops. And, mm-hmm. you know, not dogs go into shops to get attention or to get treats or something, but that wasn't why he was going in. He would just sit there in the middle of the store and smell, you know, it was like mm-hmm. just take in the scent, you know. It was really like he was showing me how to stop and smell the roses, literally. That's right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's his higher guidance, you know. Plus, it was probably a wonderful place for him to be because of his acute sense of smell, you know. Very different than other places in New York, you know. That's very, very true. Unique. Although, I mean, you yeah. don't think of dogs as being particularly drawn to flowers. I don't know. You know. No, I mean, but but you know, I bet spiritually advanced dogs would be. Yeah. You see. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, that's what yeah. I feel. You know. Exactly. Sort of a, yeah. Sort of not an ordinary dog trait or behavior. Not at all. No. Yeah, I think there's some amazing animals out there. I really do. I think they they're. You you know, they talk about the elephants. I don't know if you've seen this YouTube video where the elephants is, are painting pictures of themselves. I have seen The elephants that, are, no. are really, really brilliant. They really are. And then, you know, they, they hang out and they look like they're tied up, but they're really not tied up. If a tsunami is coming, they break their ties and they go to safety. <laughs> I think that's well, hilarious. We really <laughs> should pay attention to the animals. And when there's, I mean, there was a tsunami in Indonesia last week. You know, they need to pay attention to what the animals are doing. Absolutely. If the animals aren't <laughs> hanging around the stage, they need to think. Well, wait a minute. Why is that? <laughs> well, I mean, that's one reason I really wanted to write this book. I mean, certainly to honor Rio and who he was, but also to, you know, hopefully. Have people think about you know who or what animals are and to treat them not as inferiors but as right, superiors right. who can teach us and we can learn from them and they're at the very least our equals um, mm-hmm. and what an amazing thing if we open up to really listening to them and communicating with them and you know I hope that there'll be more openness to this you know as time goes on mm-hmm. I really do. Yeah, I've always been telepathic with animals, and I actually had a vet, a holistic vet, on the radio show with me when we were actually doing it in a radio station, and she would say, yeah, I saw a cat the other day that had a diaphragmatic hernia, and I said, you knew he had a diaphragmatic hernia? And she says, yeah, yeah, I saw it, you know, and then I and then I fixed it. She was a surgeon. I was just amazed. I mean, she could actually picture the animal in her head and then you know the animal can't tell you even symptoms really um you have to observe everything and she knew the the dog had a diaphragmatic hernia i mean it was amazing but i i have a similar thing and i and i've always had it when i when there's an animal especially a, an advanced animal in my presence um or i'm in their presence um they will communicate with me through a tele, telepathic communication and some of the things i've heard 
I went over to my friend's house, and her cat was in the corner complaining to me that she was hungry. And so I said to my, you know, I mean, it, it sounds, it doesn't sound like much, but the cat was really complaining. So I said to my friend, I said, your cat's hungry. And she said, she's always hungry. And she was. I think she, she was a fat cat. She was eating all the time. It was hilarious. I mean, something that mundane, right? But then I've also had cats tell me they have a bladder infection. You know, they, they, they actually communicate to me that they have their bladder is sore. And I tell their owner, and when they do, you know, they take them to the vet and they have a bladder infection. So be, being a doctor, sometimes I, I guess I, you know, I can communicate. I have the file to communicate with disease. But the the animals can telepathically tell you if you understand their language, um, which isn't English, by the way. It's it's a different, it's a pictorial language, and they can tell you, especially if they if they have some strong desire. Now that doesn't mean that animals communicate with me all the time. They don't. It's it's like when they really want to tell you something, when something's really bothering them, then I I get the message. Okay, it's not that every cat and dog I see is talking to me. It's not like that. And it but it's weird that but maybe it's cuz I'm a doctor and I do think in medical terms, you know. And so maybe when they've got something really wrong and they want to communicate, they say, "Ha, ah, I can communicate to her and she can tell and my own." You know? you know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they recognize it's more that they recognize that I can help them out, okay? It's not that me I don't go around trying to communicate with all the animals, although it is fun to go to the zoo sometimes and, and communicate with the the animals that you don't see very often. Mm, I'm not saying Yeah, yeah, but like I said, the the more domesticated animals are more, um, I guess, better communicators. They're sometimes they're really very good communicators. So it's it's interesting. Um, well, maybe because they share their lives with us you know they're so close to us yeah yeah and they i think they get frustrated too when we don't meet their needs you know because they are dependent on us you know they they can't go to the vet by themselves right i mean that's what i (laughs) if they have a medical problem you know they've got to be able to tell you yeah they want us to listen to them and figure it out right they want to get help if they're sick yeah or if they're if they're hungry you know when you're hungry it's a it's a big deal, you know. I mean, it's it's something where you're going to try to get some food. Um, but that's what I think. I think it's when they're really. I had an interesting thing happen when I was in um, New Orleans. I was walking on the wharf with my boyfriend, and there was about twenty or twenty five feral cats that started following us, and they didn't come very close. They were probably at least fifteen feet away, but they were all around. And he goes, he goes. He didn't like cats very much. He goes, "Why are all these cats following us?" I said, "They're following me." <laughs> you know, like they, they, um, they have some sort of uh, uh, curiosity about my my energy. So um, that's the kind of a relationship I have with animals. I I sometimes um, feel that they are curious about what you know. What is it that whether it's communication or whether they're just curious? I don't know. But it's it's an interesting thing that I've had all my life. I've, yeah, I'll go over to somebody's house and the cat that never will come out for anybody is plopped in my lap, you know. And it's like, why Why is that cat in your lap? I said, I don't know, you know. I didn't, <laughs> didn't ask it to come here. <laughs> but, uh, and dogs do the same thing sometimes, you know. They're, but dogs are more friendly, you know. Dogs dogs don't, don't uh, 
Right, but still they uh, are selective to some degree, many of them. Yeah, yeah. No, true. I think well, animals generally like me, but, you know, I, I certainly don't pretend to be a professional animal communicator. I think I've yeah. become more intuitive and a better listener with my own animals, at least, and to some degree yeah. with not my own just because of the experience with Brio. But, you know, I haven't developed or maybe don't. Well, they say everybody has the ability to communicate. If you meditate, if you meditate, you you can develop it. Though you well, have to well, learn to Bria quiet does your come mind. To me in meditation, you know, Bria there does, you go. You yeah, know. there you go. So. Well, you communicate with Brio, so this can yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, all this, all of these things are just a, a product of learning to quiet your mind so that you don't have thoughts. When you have a, like my neighbor used to always say to me, it was kind of annoying, what are you thinking? And I would say, I'm not thinking about anything, you know. He wanted to know what I was thinking all the time, and I realized I don't think. I'm on receive. In other words, when I walk into, when I walk into a room with a patient, I'm not thinking that I know what's wrong with them. I'm just blank, and then I hear what's wrong with them. Do you see? Mm-hmm. But if I know, if I think I know what's wrong with them, it this doesn't never work, you know, because I don't know anything, you know, not not at the third dimensional level. The the knowledge has to come from outside this dimension right. to be accurate, and it's not my knowledge; it's coming to me. So, mm-hmm. well, anyway, it's a great book. I really enjoyed Soul Dog. Um, thank you for writing it. Well, thank thank you so much for letting me talk about it and. Um, you can find out more about it, anybody listening, at the website for the book, which is www.souldogbook.com, and there are uh, links there to buy, and um, you know, check it out. And I'd love to Great. hear other people's stories, too, with, with their animals, their dogs. Yeah, so well, we'll yeah, it's really, it's really fun to to you know to learn about animals and to learn about like when you see an animal like you see a fox or a deer all of those things have meaning and i would encourage people to look up the meaning you can do it on the web now or you can buy books that talk about meaning of animals but every like your guides and your soul will get animals to you especially wild animal sightings to communicate certain lessons to you and that's really neat too so. Well, it's fascinating to speak with you. I really have enjoyed it so much. Oh, I have too. Well, we've been interviewing um, Elena Manns, her book, Soul Dog, A Journey into the Spiritual Life of Animals. I'd recommend this for anybody who has a love of animals and um, especially to understand how our spiritual lives and the lives of our animals are intertwined. Um, please join us next week for Temple of Health radio show.